Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language and is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. thing is really starting to make me think of post-apocalyptic movies because it didn't start out big you know and I, I always think of like post-apocalyptic movies they all end up saying the same thing really like the and they're always narrated you notice that most mostly like post-apocalyptic movies are like there's somebody talking in the background anyway I'm, I'm looking around walmart like stocking beer and everything and i'm looking at all the stuff that's empty and how they have to adjust hours for the elderly and and I'm like, and in my head, in my in my dumb Mayberry head, I'm like, at first we just ignored the signs. We didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what's happening. Like, first it was just this little story here and there in the news. We were so stupid and unprepared. Yeah, something <laughs> happened yesterday. I don't know if this is related to the coronavirus, if this is one of the symptoms or anything, but I am going from. Actually, from Walmart to another Walmart, and I got stopped at a red light, and the woman behind me, I looked in the rearview mirror, and there's this woman, and she's, like, screaming. And I'm like, all right, meth. Indiana meth, tell you what. And I'm looking forward, and then the light started turning green. Now I'm a few cars back, you know. And so I'm waiting for the cars to go, and I look up again. Erica? Her head. is She's now it's turned to the side, right? And she starts aggressively and rapidly bashing the side of her head into the steering wheel hard what like boom 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 and i'm like i'm going straight like zombie apocalypse yeah like uh, quick zombies you know what I'm talking about? them uh-huh. but i was and i can't see that her front lights because the car's so close to me you know but i'm going straight and i'm like oh god please say you're fucking turning please say you're fucking i don't want you behind me at all and she, yeah she was turning right but I forgot, I forgot all about that until I was driving home today, and I was driving down the road that 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 happened on, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that bitch was crazy." Yeah, that's a little bit on the weird side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is the zombie apocalypse. God, I hope that's not one of the symptoms. If I get it, I don't want to. Start or it's doing just that. meth. <laughs> Probably meth. <laughs> Probably meth, smell LSD, something like that. Good Maybe flaca. Oh wow, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah. She did an episode on that. Shit's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Welcome to another Martinis in the Macabre episode. We're here from our bunker because we didn't read the signs. <laughs> the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name's Erica. I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Billy. Dad, we used up all the resources and now the resources are coming to claim what's theirs. What? I don't know. Are you saying the toilet paper's gonna attack? No. It's just something that you would say in a post-apocalyptic movie. It would jump off the shelf and roll towards us Nothing about aggressively. toilet paper. I don't know where you're getting that, but that just sounds like a line from a post-apocalyptic movie. <laughs> you're talking about resources. Evidently, everyone needs toilet paper right now. And cans of food. Yeah. And meat. Yeah. And baby supplies. And everything you could possibly think of. What's eggs? Yeah. 
Haven't seen them in a long time. Man. <laughs> like, know what that'd be about. Oh, some scrambled eggs. Man, a little, like a ham and cheese omelet. That sounds so good. Yeah. Can't get it. Nope. And now you're restricted on you bread. Get, you can't get eggs. You can't get ham. You can't get cheese. You can't get any of them. Mm-mm. No. We were, we were so foolish. <laughs> We've taken advantage of those omelets. And now they're gone. Yeah, thankfully we have stuff in the house that we've been just eating on because we did not go out and panic buy like most people did. <laughs> I think really if everybody just calms the fuck down for a week, mm-hmm. just don't go to the store for a week, let everything else build back up and then it'll be better. Yeah, um, our kids were, this next week they're supposed to be on spring vacation, but they took them out last week. And originally said they would go back April fourth. Uh, I thought so, I like thought it was weeks. like I thought it was like they're out for a week. Then they have two, like it was like two week vacation, and then after spring break they no, go spring back. break is one week. That's one week. Yeah, so oh. it was like three weeks right. originally, and then they just changed that this week and said they will not be going back until May first now. Which to me which is, is like six weeks of them out of school. Which to me is like okay May first. When is school over? Like, it's school. The end of May, beginning of June. Yeah. It's like, fuck it. Be done. Be yeah. Done we don't even know if the kids in our town are going to be able to have their proms and shit. Yeah. Because of this. We're not sure. I mean, they Graduation? Could, yeah. They could change at any time and say, no, we're not going back this year. Which I don't understand because they gave us... They have to do this e-learning where they either do stuff on the computer or they send packets home. Well, they sent packets home for the first week. School's out until May. How are we supposed to turn the fucking packets in? How do we get more packets? Yeah. I want to know what that'd be like. I don't know. You know, I thought of something that sounds kind of greedy and kind of fucked up and kind of shady, but not uh, in a way. I feel like I, I since the kids are not going to be in school, basically, they're done for the school year, pretty much. They're, mm-hmm. It's done. Um, would I be a dick if I called the school and I was like, hey, remember those two containers of hand sanitizer you made me buy? Mm-hmm. Can I have them? Yeah. And those Clorox... Wipes? Can I have them? We could use them at home. That makes sense. Right? Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I'm like, oh, you're, dude, you're taking from a fucking elementary school. But then I'm thinking... Yeah, but there's no one there using them. Yeah, but I'm thinking like, I, bitch, I have the receipt. Yeah. I bought this shit and nobody's there. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up that we have to go and buy supplies for the school. I don't know. You would think that our, our city would pay for that. I don't mind it. Yeah, I don't mind, but it's the fact that they make you go and buy all this stuff that your kid... Is probably not going to use the whole year. Yeah, like when I was growing up, I never had to bring like three boxes of Kleenex and yeah. hand sanitizer. And, and, and so I, I was there, you know, it was uh, paper folders, pa- uh, pencil, and a pen. Not red, not red ink. That's it. That's all you needed. Or if you were super classy like Erica was, maybe a highlighter. That's it. That's really all they you want, needed. Like, boxes like 50 pencils and shit. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's a little ridiculous. 25 kids in a class and they're all bringing packs of 50 pencils and shit. Yeah, and what's fucking... and how much are elementary school kids really using hand sanitizer? I don't know. They're kids. But speaking of that, though, I use it at every grocery store I go to when I leave. Mm-hmm. I give a couple squirts, and but I'm thinking like, man, if aliens abducted me, that's the first thing they notice. They're like, God damn, his hands are clean as shit. <laughs> like they've got the it cleanest ones yet. They've got it set up outside our our um key cases where we have to go and pull our keys out at the prison for wherever we're going mm-hmm. and they got a station set up there with hand sanitizer and everything yeah before we start um i noticed something at walmart that really shocked me so there's box like boxes of 
like lockers, but they're clear and they're electronic and they hold like the stuff you do inventory with, like the, the high tech equipment, the walkie talkies and shit mm-hmm. like that. That's what's in there. Right. And there's a virtual reality training. It's a, it's a virtual reality visor thing you strap to your head. Like, so you can walk around the store and I don't figure know. shit out. Like or? what's, what's, what's the training for like the greeter, the virtual <laughs> reality training. You stand there and go, hi, hello, Walmart. There were probably like, um, two highs and a hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Is that a return? Let me scan that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you need all that. It's just a Walmart greeter. <laughs> all right. So let's get into this. Recently, we had a listener named Laura in Australia that left us a review and we sent her some stickers. And when I originally researched this, I didn't know if the stickers would be there in time. But since we missed an episode, which I apologize for. They should be there. They should be there. They better fucking be there. So thank you for your review, Laura. And we hope you enjoy the stickers and find good homes for them. This interaction made me want to find a topic based in Australia because we haven't really done anything there in a while. I think the last one we did from there was the family cult. And that was on episode 40 way back season two. And we're in season four now. So anyway, I found one that I hadn't heard of, but I was six at the time and didn't exactly know what was going on in world news. So I wasn't privy to this information until I researched it. We were busy living life in the 80s. Uh, I'm guessing it's something that probably most people in Australia have at least heard about, even if you're too young to remember or it was before you were born. And if you aren't from Australia, you possibly heard about it if you were old enough. It's the story of a man named Julian Knight, no relation to Catherine Knight that I'm aware of, who went for a nighttime stroll up the street with two rifles, a shotgun, and over 100 rounds of ammunition. And what do you think he was doing walking up the street with all these boomsticks? Going fishing. Multiple choice. A. He was a member of the Neighborhood Watch who took this role very seriously. B. He was taking them to the local pawn shop to make a quick buck so he could buy some more of that sweet, sweet crack that was so popular in the 80s. And today. Or C. He was going to go on a 45-minute shooting rampage, killing seven people and wounding 19. B. You're wrong. Crack, though. (laughs) Crack is whack, Billy. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was wrong this whole time. It is whack. (laughs) If you guess C, you are correct. He was going to go on a shooting spree that would be dubbed the Hoddle Street Massacre, which made him the worst mass murderer in the state of Victoria, Australia. So let's dive into the life of Julian Knight before we get into the details of the night in question. And if you want to actually see the scene and some of his interrogation and his walkthrough of the crime, there is a documentary on YouTube titled Hoddle Street 1988. It's a little over an hour and 20 minutes, and it's pretty interesting. So... On to Julian. He was born on March 4th, 1968, and was given up for adoption. He was adopted by a military couple when he was 10 days old and would be the eldest of three children. His father was in the education corps and taught English and math. I didn't even know we fucking had... That's, that's Australia, though. Yeah. Like, what's your job? Are you infantry? Are you finance? I teach it. I teach, I teach people to do math good. <laughs> Being a military family, of course, they moved around a lot when Julian was young, living for periods of time in Hong Kong, Malaysia, and Singapore, as well as several places in Australia. They eventually settled down in Laverton, Victoria. 
Julian admired his father and had a great deal of interest and respect for the military growing up. He was close with his mother and got along well with his siblings and seemed to be content with his life growing up. When he was 12, Julian's parents got divorced. He played it off as if it was something expected and that he wasn't really too bothered by it. But he later told a psychiatrist that he was angry about it still and a girlfriend would later say that he would cry often about it. Other students at school saw him as a jokester. One friend would later say that, quote, He was always the class clown, making jokes, entertaining everybody. He was very funny and he was pretty smart, pretty intelligent, always had pretty good marks, end quote. It's like Billy doing the Pee Wee Herman dance on the desk. He was the jokester. Yeah, and just like this, they're like, he was so quiet. We never <laughs> expected this. <laughs> he just liked to dance on desks. What? I think I did it on a dare. Yeah. Don't go on a shooting rampage, please. I'm not. Okay. Great. I'm high on life. Oh. And crack. Oh. Crack is whack, Billy. We just talked about this. I'm never doing it again because I just found out moments ago it's whack. It is whack. I don't do whack shit. Yeah. You uh, stick to the pure cocaina. Okay. One more crack. It's a trendy habit. I'm going to do, do one more crack. No. No. Just the cocaine. I want one crack. <laughs> one crack is that how it's measured i, I, don't, I don't know it's just something about that's funny to be like uh i want one marijuana's i want one pot <laughs> his teachers though thought he seemed overconfident that his wisecracking extroversion came off as a forced facade he would kind of role play around others julian transferred to melbourne high school in 1984 because it was said to have the best school cadet force in the city and he was all about being a cadet. And I'm assuming that it would be comparable to the JROTC that we have here in the U.S. This just sounds weird. The cadet force. Yeah. It's where you get military-type training while in school. Sounds like some Lord of the Fly shit. <laughs> he was so crunk about the military that he would wear army surplus jackets all the time when not in cadet uniform. And he read Soldier of Fortune and other military magazines. Yeah. Dial it back, dude. His commanding officer at the school said he was enthusiastic, <clears throat> but didn't really have any leadership capacity. Of course he didn't say it to his face. <laughs> it was later learned that Julian would fantasize about combat scenarios in which he was a hero saving the day, or that he succumbed to an honorable death in battle. A psychiatrist later stated, quote, So vivid were his imaginings that he'd be sitting in the classroom, for example, and he'd look out the window and he'd see people walking past and he'd immediately imagine this into an ambush situation and into military terms. It was very vivid to him, end quote. I kind of see that because I remember when I we used to play Mirror's Edge, I'd go out and I'd be like, I better just go run up that wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you try? Once. How'd that work out? I hit a crack dealer. We became instant friends. Oh, okay. He was like, would you like to try some of the crack? And I said, yes. I smoked the crack. And did he say the crack is not whack? He said it is actually really fun. And um, he was right. But we, we're, me and you are married, and I'll believe you. It is whack. It's a hard sell. If we've ever learned anything from Whitney Houston, other than not sleeping while you're in the tub. I don't know. I think she passed out. Still, though. Yeah. Um, that's still sleeping in the tub. I don't think that, um, I don't think I believe you. I don't think it's whack. It's going to take some convincing. You're going to have to really push it. We'll go on with this, but later we're having to talk to you and me. You and I. Me. Fuck you, man. Whack. 
It's already destroying your brain cells. You can't even form sentences. I've been like that since I was four. Oh, you're right. So in 1985, with C's and five subjects, Julian graduated from high school and signed right up for the Army Reserve. He received training for using 11 different weapons, ranging from a 9mm Browning pistol to a 50 caliber machine gun, and he took this shit very seriously. A fellow reservist named Des MacArthur said, quote, Most people in the Army Reserve fantasize about walking down the street with an SLR in your hand and feeling the power you might get, but no one ever does it. You're Rambo when you're out on the Army Reserve, but when you go home, you go back to being a plumber or whatever. Everyone joked around, you know, I'm a trained killer. Julian did, but in a different way. He was more dedicated than anyone else I knew. Anyone else. <laughs> Everybody else is joking, but... Like, he's a little, oh. little gung-ho here. Julian, just, Julian's about it. He's cray. <laughs> Julian was drinking a lot during this time, bar hopping with other reservists as well as drinking at home. When he would drink with his buddies, it would be macho military talk. And when he would drink around girlfriends, he would talk about how unhappy he still was about his parents' divorce, as well as being given up for adoption. Both would bring him to tears. And Julian started to hold secret grudges. He had an argument with a close friend, but the two seemed to work things out. They got along well for the next couple of weeks with no signs of anger or resentment. They went out drinking one night, seemingly having a good time, when a drunk Julian suddenly attacked his friend with no warning. It seemed that drinking brought out some of the worst in Julian. In March of 1986, under pressure from his parents, Julian enrolled in La Trobe University studying French, German, and politics. Why those three? That's just weird. I don't know. He said the university was full of hippies, and he dropped out after six weeks. Because of hippies? Long-haired hippies. Why would, it, 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 you'd have to really hate hippies to drop out of fucking school. <laughs> I think that was just an excuse. Oh, it's full of hippies. It reminds me of, like, why'd you, why'd you leave your job? Boss hated me. The teacher doesn't like me. That's why I got an F, Mom. Teacher hates me. It's a bunch of tree huggers. Nobody's hiring. Ooh. I used to say that a lot, too. <laughs> what? Nobody's hiring. I used to say it to my mom when I lived, when I lived at her house. She was like, why aren't you getting a job? You're old enough. Nobody's hiring. She was like, open a fucking phone book and point. <laughs> Call them. They're if hiring. If you don't know, we used to have the things called phone books. And they would deliver them to your front doorstep. They used to be big. Now they're like pamphlets. And you'd open it up and it'd be everybody's phone numbers. And they were all landlines. Landline? What's that, you say? It's when your phone was connected to a fucking string on the wall. That's when you're talking to your beautiful girlfriend named Erica and you're going like, you hang up. Uh, you hang up. Or you're talking to your wonderful boyfriend, Billy, and he's like, I'm going to go get something to I knew you were going to fucking do that. I knew you were going to do that. And then nothing. And, fell, and just heavy asleep. breathing. I fell asleep. And I'm screaming in the phone going, Billy! Billy! And I hung up and tried to call back and the line was busy because Billy fucking fell asleep with the phone off the hook. Something was wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, he dropped out of college, um, but he still wanted to have a full-time military career. And he applied for entry into the military at the Melbourne Recruiting Office. He was considered a good prospect for the Royal Military College, which is kind of like West Point here in the U.S., I assume. I guess. Despite his prior CO at Melbourne High, this said Julian wasn't leadership material, 
He met the minimum academic standard requirements and he was found to be physically fit by a medical doctor and mentally fit by a psychologist. After going before an RMC selection board and deemed to be a marginal candidate, which is the lowest grade they would accept for consideration, he was accepted. The initial assessments of Julian by the college were that Julian was extremely committed to the military, but that he was overconfident. Some of the staff felt that his abilities might not reach the level of what he believed himself to be capable of. They also noted that he had difficulty relating to other people and believed he needed to work on his social skills. Julian was immature and came off as a joker and a smartass, which didn't bode well with the senior cadets. He seemed to get more of the shit that the senior cadets gave to the noobs than the others got. He was still drinking heavily by this time and performed his duties poorly. He racked up numerous military offenses, which included four absences without leave and leaving his post while on duty. Now, if that happened in, like, active duty, wouldn't you be, like, dishonorably discharged for that shit? <laughs> you said duty. Um, duty! What, for all of that? Like, I mean, you're basically... I mean, you don't have the okay to leave Usually, and you desert your post. Most and... people I know who are dishonorably discharged, um, they'll... The military, well, the army at least, they, they 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 don't just go straight to dishonorable discharge. They'll find a way, if there's a way to get you out without dishonorable discharge, because that follows mm -hmm. for a while, and that's really bad. Now, there are some cases, I don't know if it's all of them, but there are some cases where you get out on a dishonorable discharge, and then after a certain number of years, it turns into a bad conduct. Or no, uh, under dishonorable conditions, and then it goes bad conduct, and then it goes failure to adapt, and then... General discharge, not honorable. You'll never get an honorable one, but it goes. It just goes to general after time. All that shit added up, though. I think. I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but I think that um, they'd put you out on failure to adapt. Yeah, I mean, which gets me for absence of that leave. Yeah, that's bad. But then deserting your post while you're on duty. Well, that's desertion. That's des it's, it's it's desertion, but it's more different when you're like in combat. If you're in a in, a, in theater. And you you're charged with desertion. Technically, you could you could be put to death. But if you're stateside and it's just your post and it's just something that you're like, hey, it's your job tonight, and you leave, I guess that falls under desertion. But still, I don't think they'd. I, I think you'd get in some fucking trouble for sure. Yeah, and he but did. there's only so many Article 15s you can give a person before the, you know your higher ups are like, you know what? Let's just fucking have him turn in the uniform yeah. and escort his ass off base. But it, what gets me about this whole thing is he's so gung-ho about military. He's such a warrior and blah, 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 but he doesn't show up. He goes, hey, what was like? It's like he just wanted the the drama and the tension and the adrenaline rush of, like, being in combat. I thought of earlier when he was, like, rough with the new guys, you know, joking, like, more than the other seniors do, you know. It, like, it's, like, it's like a private show to you, you know. They're like, oh, fresh fish. Oh, look at the fucking new guy. Oh, ha, 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 ha. And he, and I was like, yeah, you're a fucking bitch. Ah! And everybody stops and looks at him. And they're like, dude, who put a quarter in you? Dial that back. <laughs> wow. Um, Sorry, Private. You was not, you you didn't deserve that. No, he that. was a noob, too. He just got most of their shit from the senior cadets. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. I thought you meant he joined in when new cadets showed up. No, okay. he was one of the new ones, and instead of it being spread around, he got most of the senior cadet shit. And then, of course, he racked up all these uh, offenses, and he failed academic and practical exams, 
and was rated below standard in his leadership abilities. He did excel with weapons, but it didn't save him from being counseled several times about his poor overall performance. Around Easter that year, he and an ex-girlfriend arranged to meet after he cried on the phone to her about their breakup and his military woes. She stood him up, and he ended up finding her drinking at a hotel bar with a female friend. He had already had some drinks himself. The ex basically told him to fuck off, and he chucked a glass across the room, punched out a window in the door, and started swinging at anyone nearby. He had to be dragged outside to be calmed down before he finally walked away. No red flags here. No, God no. The last weekend of May, Julian was ordered by his sergeant major to stay in the barracks because of one of his all-too-frequent military offenses. He said, fuck it, on Saturday, and went out to celebrate a friend's birthday at the Private Bend nightclub. The thing is, his sergeant major also happened to be at the Private Bend, and he quickly ordered him to return to the barracks. It's funny there he was having like a nice date night with his wife, you know, or it was their anniversary and they're having a nice dinner and everything's going perfect. And then she looks up at him and he's like, motherfucker. And he like gets <laughs> up. He's like, honey, I'll be right back. I'm going to beat the fuck out of somebody. He's like, oh, there went date night. <laughs> yeah, he told him to get his ass back to the barracks. Julian refused and ended up getting into a tussle with the sergeant major's drinking buddies before being tossed out. The buddies came along on the date. Yeah, they were security. Yeah. Well, they're there to buy, like, one or two cracks. One or two? Well, you know. I'm betting it was three or four cracks. Probably. (laughs) Special occasion and all. Aussies do it big. (laughs) Not able to see that it probably was not the best idea, Julian snuck back inside and drank with his friends until around 3 a.m. without being spotted. As he left and passed by the sergeant major, what do you think happened? I don't know. Any, any Did more... he tiptoe by? Is he like, ha ha, bitch, I'm going. <laughs> I don't know. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if he shoulder checked him and called him a fucking bitch. Oh, he did worse than that. He pulled out a fucking knife and stabbed him. Oh. Twice in the right side of the face and neck. He wounded himself, too, when one of his fingers slid down the blade. Which is a good telltale sign of stabbing somebody. And he severed a tendon. Luckily, the sergeant major survived, but Julian still faced some serious charges. Assault, malicious wounding, and assault occasioning actual bodily harm. He, of course, was... And wouldn't it be, like, Australia's different, but... I would think it'd be like an attempted murder. But it would be like uh, assault and battery or attempted murder of a senior non-commissioned officer in the military. (laughs) You would think that would be kind of something... That would throw that on there. They were off post and off duty, so... Oh, you know, that's something that's, that's interesting that I learned that when I, I thank God I didn't learn it the hard way. But um, if you're in the military, like, and you, like, say we were, I was stationed at Fort Carson, right? If I get into a fight or if I try to kill somebody, if I stab somebody in the face like our friend did. Um, What's well, our friend? What were you talking about? Julian. Yeah. Our? Yeah. He's you got there. a mouse in your pocket? No, no. Hey, my friend. He, um, what well, he, like, you would get arrested in Colorado Springs, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get put on trial. And then right after that, the army's like, now we get them. And they go, now you're being charged with attempted murder and, and all that shit too. It's like, like they'll let the civilian side do it. And then after that, the military is like, and now it's our turn. Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to be on post. But you doing that as a service member, they're like, yeah, now now it's your turn. We get to charge you. They're like, hmm. damn. That's the definition of getting a book thrown at you. 
So Julian, of course, was booted from the military college, effectively squashing his life's dream. Yeah, that would do it. If anything would do it, stabbing a sergeant major in the face, that'll do it. General Murray Blake, the commandant of the college, later said that, quote, Alcohol was a factor, and it's well known that when alcohol is involved, a large proportion of the population, probably, are prone to violence in those situations. That isn't, that's not an excuse. So there was nothing in his record, there's nothing that he did that would indicate that he was quote-unquote abnormal, end quote. Because we all get drunk and decide to fight and throw shit and stab people. I don't get that. I've never gotten that I once. don't get that at all. Mm-mm. And... It's always confused me, like, with the customers I used to have back at the liquor store. They're like, I can't have tequila. You know how I get. How do you get? Like, what is that? That doesn't do anything to you. That's a big stigma. Like, oh, if I have Jack Daniels, I go crazy. No, it's alcohol. It's 80 proof alcohol. You, it's your, your mean drunk. Yeah. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Because I've drank a whole array of different alcohol since I've turned 21. And never once have I been, like, mean. Yeah. Or angry. Yeah. I think that's something that's just in you. It's you. And when you lower your inhibitions, it just comes out. It just comes out. Yeah. Like uh, they say, um, what do they say? Like uh, uh, a drunk mind speaks the truth. That type of thing where it's like once you hit that certain point of intoxication, that's where something comes out of you. And now you're trying to blame it on Jack Daniels. It ain't Jack Daniels. It's not Jose Cuervo. It could be you could drink just as much alcohol equivalent in champagne. And you're going to want to fight somebody. And I can only say, you know, as a person, I've never been involved in some huge drama where I would have a reason to get mad. So I can't exactly speak to all that. I'm not. I try and keep drama away from me as much as possible. Yeah, I just try to chill and be happy. Yeah. What's wrong with that? So that's why we just stay at home and drink. And now that we're social distancing. (laughs) Now that we have to. Why not? I mean, did did you post that picture of me with the Kraken? Uh, I sent it in that uh, response. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is posted on Facebook. Yeah, there's a picture picture of you posing with Kraken. Yeah, Billy set that one up. I was not really in a picture mood. I never usually am, but... <laughs> but you're so, you're so beautiful. <laughs> I really wasn't drinking the whole fifth of Kraken. <laughs> that takes at least a couple days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so obviously this general is full of shit. He was completely wrong. Obviously, Julian had something going on because not everybody does this when they're drunk. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, if you, it's like, oh, this is, this is uh, abnormal and he's never shown abnormal behavior. It's like, well, ask his exes because they seem to think he's a fucking weirdo. Well, even if he was prone to some type of aggression, going up and punching your sergeant major after you've been drinking for hours with no issues. That would be one thing. But going up and stabbing him mm-hmm. in the face and the neck, that's a little more serious. I wonder if he did that because he told him to stay in. Like, he held a grudge. And mm-hmm. he was so drunk, he just let that shit out. Yeah, he's that's what he's been doing. Just like with his friend. He <clears throat> acted for two weeks like nothing was wrong. And then fucking flipped on him one night while they were out. But, you know, drunk people are prone to do that. I don't have any friends, but I tell you what, if I did, I wish a motherfucker would. I'm sure all the snuggle bunnies are your friends. And yeah. But I mean, like, <laughs> if I was out drinking somebody and they automatically just flip and, and, and start getting all mad at me, I'm like, and I'm not a, I'm not a badass or anything, but I'd be like, put your fucking hands on me and it'll be the last thing you ever fucking do. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't play that game. Like, yeah. grow up. Well, Julian initially tried to turn things around in life 
swearing off alcohol, getting a job as a storeman, and applying for a security guard training course, which he got accepted into. He, found... he should have done good at that, right? You think? The, the training course. He Never have happened. Oh, well, fuck. <laughs> he, found he was out... so good, he didn't need to show up. Just hadn't started yet. He found out who his biological mother was in South Africa and sent her two letters. But when she didn't reply, he was quickly back to drinking. He was living back with his mom, staying in his old room. But his mom had converted it into a sitting room while he was gone, so he slept on a mattress on the floor. Most of his belongings were in boxes, except for some clothes, some toiletries, and three guns, which he stashed under his mother's bed. He was licensed to own guns, and all three were registered. One was a Ruger 10-shot, 22 caliber Model 10-22 semi-automatic rifle that he had been given as a birthday present from his uncle. The other two, a 7.62 millimeter caliber M14 semi-automatic rifle. That's, that's... That's like an AK, that's, right? Um, no. Uh, 7.62 is what the AK holds. That's what I was thinking. But uh, M14 is um, not. It's what um, a lot of army and... Well, I only hung out with really army. Um, <laughs> a lot of the snipers have that one. Because uh, the round is so powerful, you can... It'll, it'll reach out and touch you. Yeah. And I can't... There's this really cool movie, and I can't remember what it is. Hopefully some snuggle bands can help me out. But there is... Some movie is like from the fucking 90s or some shit, and it, it, it's dude's a sniper, and his call sign on the radio is God because he has a, um, a 50 caliber sniper rifle. Damn. So you he could be, he's, he's like, you won't have a like, head. Where, like where they're fighting, he's on a mountain far away. And so they got, and like they, he did that because, like his name was that because they got into a contact with the enemy and stuff, and they were pinned down. And dude already said, God help us. And you hear him go, Roger. And you see a dude's like leg get ripped off of him. Yeah. And <laughs> 50 cal, fuck you up. That'll do it. So he had those two. And then he had a 12 gauge Mossberg slide action repeating shotgun that he had purchased himself. Now that's just a everyday 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's what I think when I think about pump shotgun is a 12 gauge Mossberg. Yeah. And he had a lot of air rifles, too, but those aren't really that important in this story. <laughs> why, why mention it? it what was the point of that? A, it'd be a completely different story if he went out with those. People were just like, ow, <laughs> ow, stop it. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen. The guy happen. that went on a shooting spree just pissed everybody off. Yeah. That, that was my cheek. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Well, on Sunday, August 9th, Julian's family had a belated birthday party for his mom at his grandmother's house. He drove his sister over there and met up with several family members. He had a couple of beers while talking about his upcoming security guard training course and seemed excited about it. When it was over, he drove his sister home and left to meet up with a friend for a short while. Here we go. This is uh, M14. Got locked down one time because the sniper lost his. Lost his gun. Out in Iraq, yeah. How do you lose it? Well, what happened was... Here, what happened? What had happened was... Maybe I understand the tactile, tactical reasoning, but let's not have your weapon coated in camouflage that is desert. 
You'll lose the fucking thing because you're in a goddamn desert. But why do you just sit it down? I think not- he like went to go take a piss or something. I mean, like he did something where he just sat down, like I'll be right back, type of thing, and 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 he turned around, and he's like, "Where's my gun? Where's my gun?" And so all of us got locked down, and we had to look for. And I didn't even know until they turned up, and I was like, well, "The fucking thing looks like sand." <laughs> of course, he lost it. I was on his side. I was on his side. Like he was catching shit for it. I'm like, give him a break. It's it's fucking tan. Look around. Everything's tan. Look at what you're wearing. It's tan. Look at your boots. They're tan. It's tan here. So is the truck, the tanks, the Bradleys, and his gun, clearly. <laughs> Leave him alone. So was it ever found? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was found quickly, but yeah. I was like, yep, of all the guys to get missing, it'd be one that looks like the earth. Well, it's like we get locked down if our sharp count doesn't match we have to count all of our needles all of our fingernail clippers any type of metal equipment that we use yeah we have to count it every day and if one little thing is missing well there's a everybody's locked down there's a reason for that I mean, yeah i'm glad they do that but it doesn't doesn't do a whole lot because i mean i had a guy get shanked with a piece of the plastic tray the other day so yeah <laughs> Like nine inches long. It was big. So that one little needle isn't really going to do a whole lot. But sure, whatever you want to say. Is that guy okay? As far as I'm aware. Oh, okay. Got some stitches. Was he a snitch? No, from what I, I hear, I, he I, was I, the instigator. I hear tell they get stitches. He did, but he wasn't a snitch. Snitches get stitches. He was the instigator. Oh, well. Play dumb games, win dumb prizes, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes, when the party was over, he drove his sister home and left to meet up with a friend for a short while. And then on the way home, his car locked up and was stuck in second gear. He had been hoping to sell the car soon as he was in debt to the bank for several thousand dollars. So this was just one more step back in his life. All I have to say is that at least he didn't get stranded with a twitchy meth head that writes fucking novels while driving on the highway. That was weird. Have we told them about that? I believe so in the... No. Did we? I think we just did on the Patreon. Oh. Yep. Oh my god. Side quest here. So, we drove all the way from Indiana. Just got over the Colorado state line. What was that city called? Kansas. No. (laughs) That's all I know. The city where our car broke down. Kansas. It was, no, it was literally just over the state line. Fucking Kansas. It was Kansas. <laughs> Stopped to get gas and car would not start back up. Didn't know if it was the battery or the alternator. So, of course, we had to call AAA or whatever and wait on them to come out. And some other chick was stranded there, too. She was this skinny little blonde that couldn't hold still and kept like grinding her toes into the ground and telling us about the shit she was writing while she was driving 70 miles an hour in her car. Yep. She was writing fucking poetry and shit. I don't even remember what she wrote. I don't either. All I know is at that time in Kansas, they don't know what chocolate ice cream is. And that was the weirdest shit I've ever seen. That is chocolate soft serve. It's like they don't know. They didn't know. Do you guys... You guys are missing out in Kansas. They might like, have it. They might have it now. DQ chocolate soft serve. Oh my god. Do they have chocolate shakes? I don't know. 
I don't. I bet they didn't. I bet they didn't. And they looked at us weird when we asked for cheese at a Pizza Hut to dip our breadsticks in, like soft cheese. They're like, we have shredded cheddar mozzarella. She came back with it. She came back with a cup of shredded mozzarella. Yeah, we're like, um, that that was the closest I ever felt to the Twilight Zone. That was some yeah. outer limit shit. I'm like, where are we? And there was an Arby's in Colorado that didn't have the mozzarella sticks. Yeah. <sighs> weird. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So yeah, that she she was obviously a meth head and felt it was very important to tell us her whole life story. Yeah. Long story short, we got towed an hour and a half away and the tow driver was complaining because he was going the other direction and we're like, sorry, this uh, is your job. Yeah, if things worked out great, we'd have been going in that direction. But yeah. you know, it didn't work. Yeah. Cars break down. You drive a tow truck. It'd be like it'd be like it'd be like you're a waiter, like, yeah, uh, I'd like the um Bison burger with bacon. They're like, oh god, I was gonna eat a salad, and now you're doing this. And you're like, fuck's I gotta do with me? Like, wait, you <laughs> talk, just do your fucking job. Later on, you'll have your salad. Later on, you can go that direction. Mm-hmm. Right now, do what you're being paid to fucking whatever. Yeah, we ended up staying overnight at a hotel in the little city called Lyman, where the hotel smelled like some foreign food that we couldn't place, and the mattresses were. Flat on the fucking floor. It smelled like that one house in every neighborhood that smells like soup. You don't know why. And mm-hmm. you know there's no soup. Yeah. Not even a bed frame. No. That was scary. Anyway. I don't even think we had sex that night. Probably not. It probably smelled too bad. It, it, no, it was one of those scenes where it's like, I lay down. I think I, I was like laying down in the bed just staring at the ceiling like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. This is the weirdest day of my life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. It was a little messed up. So... Yeah. His car broke down. It was stuck in second gear. So he crept home in second gear. He changed and then went to the Royal Hotel around 6 p.m. for some drinks because obviously he likes to drink. At the pub, he drank by himself at the counter as none of his usual friends were there. I like that word. What? Pub. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've always liked it. It seems like a lot of these hotels around here, like the bar in it is actually considered it's like its own pub. It's just attached to a hotel. What? Yeah. What? What are you talking about? And when I was researching oh. this, yeah, like all these hotel bars, it's like an actual pub, but there's a hotel yeah. attached to it. So it's not like just the people staying in the hotel drink there. People actually go there as it's hmm. a pub, So, which we don't see a lot around here anyway. So yeah, he was drinking by himself. He chatted with the waitresses and some regulars. Talking about his woes with the car in the military. Poor me. My mom. But did point out that he was a crack shot with a rifle. Since it was Sunday, the pub closed at 8 p.m. He finished off his last drink and headed out around 8.20 p.m. You said, like, talk about how he's such a crack shot. It's just like, hi, I'm a red flag. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Who hears a red flag? Ooh, ooh, me, 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 me. <laughs> You don't say that shit with strangers around. I guess you did in like in the 80s, but nowadays, the culture we live in now, mm-hmm. I couldn't just sit there and have a culture. We're like, oh, man, this is a good day. I'm so fucking good with a rifle. People would be backing the fuck <laughs> it's like up for you. like saying bomb on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> just five hours after this time, he would be talking to the police, telling them that he had already made up his mind at this point about what he was going to do next. That's another red flag. Quote, I decided that I'd go home and get my weapons and start shooting, end quote. Oh, Lord. 
Julian returned home and talked with his sister for a few minutes before heading into his mother's room while she and his sister watched a movie. He got the shotgun, the two rifles, a still ammunition box, and a leather shotgun cartridge belt out before loading all three firearms. He then stuffed his pockets full of ammunition, placing a single 7.62 millimeter round in the front right-hand pocket of his jeans. This was his quote-unquote suicide round. He put a black combat knife down the back of his pants, slung the M14 over his back, and carried the Ruger and the Mossberg out of the house at 9.29 p.m. to go sing karaoke. Because Just kidding. He he wasn't going to sing karaoke. Eric, I fucking believed you. (laughs) Like... The way this has been so far, like once the character, yeah, why the fuck not? Yeah, fucking no, good. He wasn't gonna do that, Billy. All right, no karaoke. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I'm sad. Oh, <laughs> and just wait, it gets sadder. God, man, like why can't you just start your day off with Journey? <laughs> why was that your happy place? Is Journey? Jeez, I people, yeah, man, fuck, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here till Thursday. Tip your wages. Try the veal. I'm going to kill some bitches. <laughs> I'm out. I could just see him going up to sing karaoke with all those guns slung over him. People are like, uh, uh, uh. I bet he got standing. <laughs> Slow clap. Awkward. No, he gets standing ovation. Like, do not piss him off. <laughs> fucking you stand up and clap. I'm in a wheelchair. Don't fucking work it out. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> Encore, just kidding. Leave, please. <laughs> it was excellent. You should really get some rest. Rest up those vocal cords. They're oh my excellent. God. You don't want to hurt them. You're so good. You should go on tour. <laughs> Out there. Out there. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> you take this on the road. I was gonna. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we get into the shooting, I want to preface it and say that we feel for all of the victims here. Of course. Whether they were killed or injured or just shot at. I'm not going to mention every single name, just ones that were actually injured or killed. But I do also want to say that many of these names are either difficult to say or are quite humorous. So forgive us if that leads to any jokes. <laughs> God, you already know. Yeah, I'm just prefacing right now. So you know ahead of time. If you think you're going to be pissed off by me mispronouncing names that are funny, you might want to leave now. <laughs> Jesus <Hey. laughs> Let's go. Yeah, God. Strap in. Let's go. (laughs) Julian ran west along Ramsden Street and crossed the nearby railway line. Within a minute, he was on the eastern side of the main four-lane road known as Hoddle Street. At 9.30 p.m., from the nature strip on the east side, he opened fire on passing vehicles with the Ruger rifle. The first car he made contact with was a husband and wife named Con and Rita Vitkos. Rita received minor injuries and her husband was uninjured. The next two cars just received damage, but none of the three people in them were injured. After this was a car driven by Alan Jury and had two passengers, Monica Vitelli and Danielle Mina. Jury and Vitelli were both injured and they pulled in at the service station down the road. Julian was firing rapid bursts at the vehicles, and he reloaded with a spare 10-round Ruger magazine as he moved north toward the Clifton Hill Railway Station. He deliberately fired at every single vehicle, both north and southbound, as it went past. No one in the next car was injured, but the driver of the next vehicle, Sand Wang, 
receive minor injuries. Sand Wang. I'm not saying it. Sand Wang. Ah. Sounds painful. Yes. <laughs> the next car was Diane Fitzpatrick. <laughs> it's a play on yours. Uh, the Kirkpatrick? <laughs> yeah. Kirkpatrick! Diane Fitzpatrick, who received a serious back wound. All the people in the next three cars escaped injury. At 9.35 p.m., Julian ran out of ammunition for the Ruger, so he dropped it on the ground and began firing with a Mossberg shotgun. It was these loud blasts that locals heard, and they started calling Victoria Police's Emergency Communication Center. Shotguns tend to be noisy. Very noisy. The first car to drive by once he equipped the shotgun only took a shot to the front of the car. The driver wasn't hurt, and she actually didn't even realize her car had been hit. The next driver, Vesna Markovska, received minor wounds. Her fiancé, Zoran Trajeski, was in the car directly behind her, and he also just received minor wounds. They pulled over to the side of the road to take cover. As they were doing this, a car on the opposite side of the street, driven by Georgina Papianinimu... Oh my god. Okay, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, um, you go for it. Pioneer. Papa, I, uh, I just yeah, uh, you don't get to give me shit about any names I just sound, ever. I just sound like Nell. <laughs> P-A-P-A, Papa. But after Papa, it's I-O-A-N-N-O-U. That's too many vowels. Papa, Oh, I I'm sure Georgina is an amazing person. But holy fuck, that last name. Yeah, so she pulled over on the opposite side of the street and Julian fired on her and wounded her. The next car containing three occupants drove through the danger zone uninjured and flagged down a police divisional van up the road and told them about the shootings. I drove through the danger zone. zone. And that's what I was thinking when I wrote it. I was like, Gonna take a ride into the the danger zone. We're fucking awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Constables Glenn Nichols and Belinda Blinked Bershier. I just, Belinda Blinked. Belinda Blinked? (laughs) Is that really her fucking name? No. Oh my God. I added that Oh my God. I was going to fucking lose it. I was about to. That's why I put in parentheses, Billy. I was going to like. Belinda Blinked Bershier. I was going to write an email. I was like, holy fuck, (laughs) we found her. Uh, If you guys don't know, that's my dad wrote a porno. It was Belinda Blinked. (laughs) They're great. That's like one of my favorite podcasts out there. And they got their own TV series now. Really? The whole series? Yeah, or they read the book in front of like an audience and shit. Well, yeah, that's not a series; that's a show. Well, it's a show, but like I think of a series as multiple shows of the same thing, and that's what they're doing. <laughs> well, uh, these constables turned on their lights and sirens, and of course, sped to the scene. They reached the intersection of Hoddle Street and Ramson Street by nine thirty-eight p.m. and were immediately shot at. So, I mean, this is all within eight minutes. It's amazing, like how. Um... And especially with mass shootings and everything, is like how much damage you can do in the span of like five minutes. You could and it, like, re- and it picks up after this. Yeah, but like you know, like in the past, all the mass shootings we've had in America, like really, like the the instance itself ain't that long. Mm-hmm. But it's like, damn, the damage you can really inflict. Yeah. <clears throat> Cough. 
So Julian continued to fire on passing motorists, changing position as he did so. The next four cars all had single occupants. One driver named Edward McShortall, short, all, short, tall, he's short and tall. That's what I was just, that's what I immediately thought, short and tall. <laughs> received minor wounds while another driver, Wing Shing, okay, Wing Shing, I'm not making this up. Wingshing, I'm not laughing, who had stopped his car just opposite of Julian, received serious wounds to his jaw and throat. Ooh. Not ooh, like, that's gross, but like, ooh, poor guy, that that sucks. Ah. The next vehicle was driven by Kevin Skinner. <clears throat> his wife Tracy was in the passenger seat with their son Adam on her lap below the window line. Tracy was killed by a blast to the face, and Adam received some minor wounds from the broken glass. Jesus. So now he's actually killed someone. It's yeah. a mom holding her kid. Yeah. At this time, a local named Peter Kermy, <clears throat> and I wanted to say Kermy, Kermit the Frog. Yay! <clears throat> and a friend of his named John Muscat approached the scene from the west side of the road. That's a grape. A muscat? Yeah, I believe so. Muscat? <clears throat> Moscato? Julian fired once at them, fatally wounding Muscat in the head and chest, and seriously wounding Kermie. Steve, no! <laughs> Steve White. You take a second. Yeah. This that's is awful. we're professionals, Billy. We're trying to make. We're tra- <laughs> no, we're not. We're, we're, we're so not. <laughs> we're so immature. Steve White, an attendant at a nearby swimming pool, ran to help the men and was seriously wounded by Julian's final shotgun blast. It was now 9.39 p.m. So from the time I told you it's only been eight minutes, this has only been one minute. 9.38 to 9.39. So, here's my question, and it could be funny if you want it to be. The guy that worked at the pool, mm-hmm. and he ran to assist or whatever, mm-hmm. if, like... Seven kids drowned because lifeguard wasn't on duty. Would that go on the charge for Julian? Like, he would kind of be, at the end of the day, responsible for it, seeing as if he didn't do that in the first place, he wouldn't have ran from the pool. I think he would have probably at least been fired for leaving the kids in the pool no, this no, late no, at no. night. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about Julian. I don't think you could put that on Julian because the guy didn't do his job. Why are there kids in a pool nine-something at night? I never said there was. I'm just as hypothetical. <laughs> What are you doing working at a pool at night yeah. something at night? Maybe he's just like a nighttime watch or something. I don't know. I don't live in Australia. I don't know Australian things, Billy. Clearly. God, come on. God damn. So it was now 9.39 p.m. Only one minute passed when the constables pulled up to the intersection. Julian now dropped the shotgun to the ground and took up a prone position to begin firing with the M14. Vesna Markovska, who had received minor wounds just minutes before and had gotten out of her car to take cover, now tried to make a break for the footpath on the eastern side of Hoddle Street. Bad choice. Mm. Should have sheltered in place. Mm-hmm. Social distancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Julian's. Did I tell you why they say that shit now? Because people got butthurt about quarantine. They say quarantine's offensive. So they say social distancing. How stupid is that? Just say shelter in place and everybody shut the fuck up. Could you imagine that horror movie quarantine called shelter in place? <laughs> You'd be like, what the fuck is this? Or not shelter in place. So- social distancing. And it's the cover of that girl being dragged away. <laughs> <laughs> she let somebody get too close. 
That's what happens when you don't socially distance yourself. Yeah. You can't when you're locked inside of a fucking apartment building. <laughs> you're in it, dude. You're in it for the long haul. Yeah. I wonder how weddings are taking place when everybody has to be six feet apart from each other. I don't know. I saw this really cool picture. Uh, this somebody took out of, of her, his or her dad. Got a hold of his drinking buddies in the neighborhood. And they're out, like, in the street, like, six feet away from each other, holding beers and talking. <laughs> I was like, hey, you guys are doing it right. <laughs> so, yeah, she tried to make a break, and Julian spotted her and fired, seriously wounding her. As she fell back onto the ground, he fired two more shots, killing her. Aww. So the initial shot wounded her. The second shot, she got wounded again, and then he took her out once she was falling onto the ground. So one wounded her. One, two um, wounds. One wounded her, one immobilized her, mm-hmm. and then the other ones. Yeah. Ah. Just one minute later at 9.40 p.m., police helicopters were called upon to assist at the scene. One of the officers tried to get a shot off at Julian during a break in him firing, but missed him by just a couple of meters. Right after Meters? Th- yes. Meters? Mm-hmm. That's a big miss. Yeah. I don't One know. meter is a big miss. I don't know how far away they were. Still, though, a meter's like three feet. Yeah, I know. It's like This it, is what I said. It, it, they made it sound like it was such a close call. Just missed him by a hair, like six feet. No, that's a big <laughs> That's a big gap. I wasn't the one shooting, Billy, okay? Don't come down on me. Sorry, you're right. <laughs> right after this, a man named Robert Mitchell, who had previously driven right through the war zone without receiving any injuries ran up the street to try to help the fallen Vesna Markovska. Just as he reached her, Julian fired and hit him right in the right side of his head, killing him instantly. Mm. He made it through all that, could have kept driving. He stopped, ran to try and help her, got shot down. Well, see, and that, that's dying. You're a hero. Yeah, yeah. You're dying a hero when you do that. At 9.41 p.m., three police units set up in Mayor's Park on the west side of Hoddle Street, while other units set up in the surrounding area. A car drove by as Georgina Papanyanyanyao. Wow, wow. Yep. Oh, shit, the furniture's floating. <laughs> <laughs> Walked from her car to try to help Markovska and Mitchell. The car wasn't hit, but Georgina was fatally wounded in the left side as she reached the two victims that were already dead. So he stopped to help her, and then she stopped to help him, and now all three of them are dead. But I tell you what, stuff like that really restores my faith in humanity. That no matter what happened, they're, they're, they're stopping. They're trying to help each other and trying to get people to safety. Yeah. Didn't work out, clearly, but still. And you got to think, these people driving by probably have no clue what's going on. They just see people laying outside a car and they think maybe it's a car accident or something. Yeah. They may hear these pops, but it's not registering to them it, that yeah. it's a shooter. Like, I've heard enough gunshots to where I'd be like, that's gunfire. Mm-hmm. But I could also picture other people being like, Who's lighting off fireworks? Yeah. And why are they laying on the ground? You don't expect people like that have been shot to be laying in the middle of the road. Yeah, and it takes a minute. You're like, oh shit, I'm, I just drove into something pretty bad. Yeah. So it's like when you set up camp in a first-person shooter, I guess, and just wait for them to come to you. Because everybody kept stopping to help other people. And yeah. He's um, camped. Speaking of which, heads up, anybody out there that plays Call of Duty or anything, I am a camper. And I'm fucking proud of it. Everybody gets mad at campers. You know what campers do? They fucking kill bitches. That's what they do. That's, and they fucking, they get people. Work get, smart, not hard. Say, exact. Yeah, you're mouth to God's ears. <laughs> I set up claymores all behind me 
And like if I'm in a building, there's a claymore at the door. There's a claymore at the second floor door. And I'm sitting there in the back corner with a sniper rifle or a sniper rifle. And I'm picking people off. Mm -hmm. That's called thinking smart. (laughs) Yeah. And there's there's the Erica technique, which works from time to time. Erica technique is run straight at him and pull a grenade and throw it. And I'll do it. You'll see. You like kill three people. You're like, hey. Yeah. That works. Sometimes it works. Just go fucking ape shit. Yeah. Go crazy. (laughs) Although I had to stop with the multiplayer Call of Duty. I get way too angry and I have to stop and distance myself and be like, all right, I'm going to burn this house down. You have if to I social keep, distance for I have to game. social distance myself. And that was back years ago where I'm like, I'm going to burn this fucking house down. I keep playing this shit. <laughs> Somebody's going to fucking die for real. <laughs> I need to stop. So next, Julian fired at driver John Finn, who received minor wounds, and Andrew Hack next, who received a serious wound to his left side. The next vehicle was driven by Dusan Flajnik. Flajnik? Flajnik. Yep. Yes. He was hit in the left side and ended up bleeding to death in his car. By 9.43 p.m., Constable Bouchier, Belinda Blinks, called (laughs) for another ambulance and declared the service station as a safe rendezvous point as two more police units showed up. And this is the same service station that people had been driving through and parking at when they've been shot at. It's like a triage or something? Yeah, kind of. I gotcha, okay. Like a safe place for everyone to meet at. (laughs) He can't hit here from where he's at. Get over here. (laughs) Michael Smith and Jacqueline Meegans were in the next car that was shot at. Smith got minor wounds and Megan was seriously wounded in the shoulder. As this was happening, the first two ambulances arrived. One went to the service station and the other to Mayor's Park. The driver of the next car was unhurt, but they were followed by a man named Kenneth Stanton who was on a motorcycle. He was hit in the leg and crashed onto the road. As he laid there writhing in pain, Julian fired two more shots at him, and Kenneth eventually bled to death in the road. 9.45 p.m. A car containing Dimitrios Kolivas, Renata Coldabella, Danny Coldabella, and Danny DeLuca, I think I did that pretty good. Oh, I like that. Drove down the street. Julian fired at the front of the car. The car stopped and then reversed back up to the street as Julian fired two more shots. We call that nope. It crashed. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) It crashed into a police car that had just arrived on the scene. That first shot had slightly wounded Renata and the second shot had seriously wounded Danny. At this point, Julian was surrounded by at least 40 police officers and he decided to pull back from the area so he could begin, quote unquote, hunting the officers. Oh, this fucking guy is bonkers. He had already expended 40 rounds of 22 caliber bullets, 25 rounds of 12-gauge buckshot, and 32 rounds of the 7.62 caliber bullets in just 15 minutes. Five people were dead by this point, with 17 injured. Unknown to him, he had lost his suicide bullet and another 7.62 bullet, as well as his combat knife. How do you lose a bullet you have in your pocket? Evidently, when he took the prone position, it rolled out. Okay, because it's not like he took it and loaded it into a magazine or put it in the chamber. No, my assumption is when he got down prone, it probably rolled out of his jean oh. pocket. Oh, man. Now you imagine going, what's going through his head, too. You know, he, like, reaches probably he's like, oh, no. My knife. Oh, no. <laughs> All he had left was his M14 rifle and 17 rounds of ammunition. 
He turned around and climbed up on the western platform of the railway station and ran north along the platform and then the railway line. When he got to a fork in the tracks at 9.46 p.m., he followed the left track. He wasn't on the right track. He took the... He took the track less traveled. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying. Uh, yeah, I, I said it, Billy. He wasn't on the right track. You should have just left it at that. <laughs> yep. Funny. That actually was really... That was really witty. That was cool. He saw a police car at the northern end of Hoddle Street and fired on it three times. Neither of the officers were injured, but they jumped out of the car to take cover when Julian stopped shooting. He then moved to a cluster of trees nearby and sat down to smoke a cigarette because... Why not? I mean, at this point. At 9.48 p.m., a police helicopter got to the area and began searching for the shooter with a searchlight. Just a minute after that, Victoria Police's Elite Special Operations Group, or SOG, was ordered to the scene. Uh, They're good. Mm -hmm. I know the the, the ones in England are good. (laughs) SOG, they're Mm -hmm. good. I, I would imagine they're just as good in Australia. Julian finished his cigarette and kept moving in a northwest direction towards Northcote. He crossed over the Mary Creek, which is probably the worst possible name considering the circumstances at this time. He's taking his merry time going yeah. across the Mary Creek because he don't give a merry fuck. And- <laughs> Stop. Hold on. Oh, uh, no. Okay. No. Mm-mm. And he took up a position at the end of a road bridge that spanned the creek. He fired one shot at a passing police officer, Constable Colin Chambers, who was slightly wounded in his right side. He was then chased by the police helicopter as he had given up his position, and he ran into a line of trees by the railway line. He tried to hide out to avoid the helicopter searchlight, but then ran out of the tree line at 10.05 p.m., knelt down, and fired three shots at the circling helicopter. The first shot pierced the right main fuel tank, and forced the helicopter to land at a nearby sports field. Normally, I would say, yeah, right, you're going to take down a helicopter? He fucking did. Yeah. (laughs) It must have been pretty low. I bet it was a quick conversation in that helicopter. We're going down. I got to sit it down. Don't fucking sit it down here. (laughs) You You saw what he did? Julian kept running into Fitzroy North and headed down McKean Street in an attempt to get to his ex-girlfriend's house. He probably wanted to cry to her about how bad his life was. Oh, so I went to shoot people. Bye, Mom. Ah. I expected to kill more people than this. Baby. I was adopted, but why? Hey. Uh, feel bad for me. Yeah, just like that. Merry way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at 10.13 p.m., he was spotted. She was like, nah, bitch. <laughs> he was spotted by two police officers, Constables John Delahunty and Ralph Lockman. They gave chase in their car, and Julian ducked into a laneway, turned around, and fired his last ten rounds at the car as it came to a stop in the middle of the road facing the laneway. Question. Answer. The fuck is a laneway? Um, is it like a driveway? I don't know if it's a driveway or if it's like a little offshoot of a street. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> The driver, Constable Delahunty, received minor shrapnel wounds to his face and left hand as the two officers jumped out of the car with their revolvers drawn. The two constables took up positions behind the car and called to Julian to surrender. Julian squatted near a low brick wall and began searching all of his pockets for a suicide bullet, 
which he had already dropped. See, at this point, like, it always pisses me off when a mass shooter commits suicide. Mm -hmm. I want you to be alive. I want you to stand and face what you did. But seriously, if I was one of those cops, like, one of the first things I'd say is, like, um, okay, uh, you're, like, I would have my gun drawn and everything. I'd be like, you're going to run out of ammo. You're going to run out of ammo. At some point, you will run out. You may kill me, but you're going to run out. So either turn yourself in right now or put that gun in your mouth because either way, Well, and this was the case. He used his last 10 rounds, didn't realize that he'd lost that bullet in his pocket. So now he's like, oh, fuck. I already spent all my ammo. Yeah. So he couldn't locate it and, of course, realize that the jig was up. Yeah, if I was like, I swear to God, I'd be like, you're going to run out of ammo, and when you do, I'm going to walk in that, I'm going to walk right towards you, and I'm going to fuck you up. He leaned forward into the headlights and dropped the M14 on the ground and stood up with his hands in the air. Once he was fully standing, Delahoney, tired of Julian's shit, fired off a round at him. He's already laid down the gun, hands in the I'm air, and he's like, pew. I'm with him. Pew, like, pew. You know what? I'm fucking over this already. <laughs> Julian ducked back down, yelling, don't shoot, I'm coming out. He slowly stood up again, walked into the street, and was quickly arrested by the two constables. And was the most well-behaved person arrested. Because, you know, that constable was like, um, I just shot at you, and if you so much as sneeze, I'm going to fucking empty this gun into you. Yeah. You, you're like, on the stomach now. If you don't want to, then I'm going to shoot you in the stomach. <laughs> Lay on your stomach or get shot in your stomach. Which one are we doing today? Yeah. Julian was taken in for an interrogation where he fessed up to everything and then led police on a walkthrough of the scenes while it was still dark out, giving them a play-by-play. He led them on another walkthrough in the morning when it was light out. Both were videotaped, but the one that you can see in the parts of the documentary on YouTube I mentioned was during the day. And he literally walked from, I stopped at this point, I fired this many rounds. Like, he remembered every single place that he stopped. In the end, seven people died and another 19 were wounded in a 45-minute rampage. Julian was convicted of the seven murders and was sentenced to seven life sentences. He has talked to many other inmates, psych doctors, and criminologists about other mass murderers and how he fared compared to them. Was this a fucking game or competition? Considering it was dark, I was shooting from a distance at fast-moving targets and I'd had about 13 to 15 pots of beer... I did a really good job. What the fuck is a pot? I'm assuming like Pint? a big mug or a stein. Sign, yeah, okay. maybe. I did a really good job. Wait, 13 to 15 steins, you'd be dead. That's but all. You got to remember, he's a heavy drinker. Still, think if, if he was sober, how many more people would have died? Okay, Snuggle Bay's in Australia. Can you please let us know what the what a fucking pot of beer is? <laughs> Maybe a can? I don't know. Maybe like a beer mug. It wouldn't be a pint because pint is what they, they that's a unit of measurement. It's a pint or a quart. Mm-hmm. What's a know. pot? I don't know. That bothers me. Quote, good old Chuck, which he was referring to Charles Whitman, the bell tower shooter. Yes. Did a good job too, didn't he? He was ex-military like me, but I think he had sights. It was easier for Huberty at McDonald's and Vitkovic and Queen Street because the people they were shooting at were trapped, end quote. And he's referring to um, the San Ysidro McDonald shooting. And then in Victoria, there was another shooter not long after him, um, Vitkovic on Queen Street. But I don't think he killed as many. Oh. But that's who he's referring to. Criminologist Andreas Karpatis 
Cut. I like that. That was a good pronunciation. No, the first time was good. I like that. Good job. Stated that Julian had a, quote, complete lack of remorse, no mention of any compassion for his victims during our interviews, and was very disturbing to me, his logic even more, end quote. Julian remains in the maximum security section of the Port Phillip prison near Melbourne, Victoria, and it doesn't appear that he will be getting out anytime soon. And that, my friends, is the Hoddle Street Massacre. Woo! Yeesh. We managed to cram it into one episode. Usually this would be a two-parter, but I just thought of something a minute ago. Most people are inside quarantining. Yeah. So, hey, let's make a long episode. Have some fun with it. (laughs) A little bit of a longer one. So thanks for listening, you guys. We hope you enjoyed our telling of it. Let us know what you think about it on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis and the Macabre. And we also have a fan page on Facebook called Friends Who Like Martinis and the Macabre. You can also follow us on the twits at martini underscore macabre. Feel free to post and share. That's the easiest way to help us out just by spreading the word. Suggest our show to any weirdo you know that you think might like us. And thank you to everyone who has given me well wishes because I have been a little down with my health recently. So I really appreciate you guys for that. And I, it means a lot. If you want to go a step... Oh. She doesn't have the virus. She's just no, under, no, no, no. She's just under the weather. That's all that I, is. Yeah, I had a stomach bug, and then I had a migraine for a couple of days, and I worked a bunch of overtime. I've just, I've worn my body out. <laughs> so if you want to go a step further, then please get on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, basically anywhere. You can leave a rating or review, just like Laura did, and sing our praises. Give us five stars. It would be hugely appreciated. And don't forget, if you send us a snapshot of your review, like Laura did, we will send you a sticker. And actually, I believe we sent her more than one. We sent her a couple. Yeah, that was by way of an apology. Uh, I already told her, but um, she sent that in a little while back. But I, I got a new phone in the meantime and porting over the emails and the mm-hmm. messages and everything. And the bitch of it is, is when you get a new phone, you have to remember your fucking password. <laughs> that was the problem. And yeah. then, then, then I got everything set up. I was like, oh, fuck, we have an email on our thing. So, <laughs> shit, I should look at this. Again, sorry that was so late. We do appreciate that, and uh, sorry about the delay. And if you've already left a review but haven't sent us a pic, you can still do that and get a sticker, even if it's an old review. We don't have any qualms with sending out stickers. And if you want to go balls to the wall and financially support the show, you can make a one-time donation in the amount of your choosing via our PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage on our website, martinisandthemacabre.com. Or you can set up a pledge for monthly donations through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinisandthemacabre. Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month and a shout-out on the show. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. Every dollar is hugely appreciated. And thank you to all past patrons and especially our lovely current patrons, Kirsten R. Baller, yo. Love you. Bridget, Caroline, Chelsea, Christina, Cooper, Donald, Belfast Grace, Jennifer, Kate, Kim, Christy, Kristen, Lady Danger, Marie Maxime, Martha, Molly, Monica, Vanessa, and Veronica. You awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. And I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to put anybody out there, but I was contacted by one of our listeners, a long time, a long fucking time listener. And if you're listening, you know who you are. He was in Vermont backpacking and did not tell anybody where he was going. He sent me <laughs> an actual voice message on Facebook. And it was basically what it was like. If, 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 um, 
If something happens, you know where I am. So if you're listening, Godspeed. I hope you're okay. I'm sure they're going to look through your phone to the podcast that you listen to and reach out to us to go, do you have any clue where he's at? Vermont in the woods. <laughs> We're the last people you should tell. There's going to be no connection. Tell your family. Tell your friends. This is a learning experience. Yeah. Talk about social distancing. You really did it, dude. Wow. Yeah, I don't think they're going to hunt down martinis in the macabre to... Find out where a listener's at. <laughs> it's like this whole virus thing started. He was like, fuck it. <laughs> he got a backpack and a walking stick and went in the woods. <laughs> That's definitely distancing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thank you for letting us know where you are. Hope you're safe. Yeah, we're really concerned. I hope you're okay. <laughs> All of you awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. We love you. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisinthemacabagmail.com or you can use the contact page on the website. Also on the website, you can find a bio about us, a complete episode catalog that you can binge, and all of the music created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. And I think the only music I have left of his are very long, ambient songs, and I may try and split those up. I wonder if there's a way to, like fade it out and then fade it back in on another episode well because he has one song and it's got like three distinct sections so i oh, may okay. split that up and do like one section because it's it's like 16 minutes long and i don't want to do that to you guys at the end his, of the episode songs, if you do enjoy the music his songs have acts yeah this is act one <laughs> yeah so all i've got left are really long ambient songs so i'm gonna try and split those up for you guys because i don't think i have any of the shorter songs from him until he makes some more um, but be sure to stay to the end of the episode to listen to that and keep listening to all of the songs by Minimus Noah and supporting him and find all of his released music on Spotify and iTunes. Go check it out and give him some love. It's Even if you listen to the beginning of our shows, it was a little bit different music than it is now. It's a lot more mature. I think a lot of you guys would really like it. So I'm just asking you to listen. And it's not the fact that he's our son. It's one of those things where it's like, this is yeah. This is good. Yeah, it's very good. And that about wraps it up, guys. Once again, thank you for listening. Stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies. Don't forget your social distancing and wash your hands. And we'll see you in two weeks. I love you all. Bye! Bye-bye!
Papa Nininanya, wow, wow.